Bienvenidos a Radio Menea. I'm Miriam Soila Perez. And I'm Vero Valletti Flores, and we are two Latinx friends with widely different music tastes. And each week we bring you music from the Latinx artists that we love. And this week we're doing part two of an episode series on music from Nueva York. So make sure to go back and listen to last week's part one if you want to get the full picture. Yeah, we're talking about music that the city of New York had a role in shaping itself. Like it as a geography, it as like everybody really densely packed, it as a place where lots of immigrants from lots of different places come. And that has created a set of conditions where a lot of cool shit has come out. And the first genre that we're going to explore today is Medin House. We're listening to Medin House Classics, Proyecto Uno. This is Esta Pega. Let's take another listen. In other words, we got the whole package of dance, dance, dance that'll take away your package. Chicas con mini faldas y tights in Florida, Washington DC y Washington Heights. Y en Colombia, Colombia, la música se baila porque es una bomba. Que se oye cada hora, la única cosa que quiero es... Como hay mujer Algo que me gusta mucho. She gotta be pretty in the face, not escucho los hombres con el... Mujeres con el... Magic One y Proyecto Uno está pegado. been paying attention to me <laughs> throughout this podcast you'll know that I'm a big fan of Medding House um, a few years back I wrote a little um, piece about Medding House being the most lit body music of all time I will link that for you all um, I'm really been advocating for a comeback for a long time but I don't yeah. know I don't know if there's I don't know if there's gonna be a comeback but I feel like I don't know. I feel like we're just uh, if if there's a moment, it could be now. Yeah, it's great. It's great. It is great. You know, it is. It's super, super dope. Um, And, you know, even though Wilfrido Vargas has sort of like a proto Meren rap truck called El Jardinero, um, I think that most people would agree that there's just like no Meren house without New York City. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I said, this is an episode about like migrations and mass movements of people and like shaping sound and culture. And I think Menning House is like the child of Dominican migration to New York City. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. This actual song is like basically about that and about like, yeah, that like living the two cultures and like, don't call me gringo and like, you know. No necesito Julio para ir a la iglesia. <laughs> like, there's a lot of good lines. Yeah. There's a lot of yeah, good lines think... about their relationship to New York and Latinidad and stuff. 
Yeah, that's what, sort of why I picked this song, you know, because like Proyecto Uno, first of all, were pioneers of the genre, like Obvio, at least in popularizing it as a way that we know now. But I mean, because they do, they do say that, like, Nací en Nueva York, pero no me diga gringo, you know, right. like they're right. and this is like this energy, right? Like, that's the energy, like they're New Yorkers. Yeah, but they're also Dominican. Mm -hmm. And to them, that feels really obvious. Right. And I think that to kids of immigrants everywhere, that's like often a really strong feeling. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like where you're born doesn't negate where you're from. You know what I mean? Like the both things can be true. And, you know, Midding House, I would argue, is like the sonic expression of like those geographies and that diaspora at that time, right? Um, like you've got these Dominican kids who were born in New York City. So like their parents are Dominican. They are like American, but like growing up in like an extremely Dominican neighborhood, You know, they're uptown, they're growing up with all these other Dominican-American kids, but also seeing hip-hop emerge as a cultural force, right? Mm -hmm. Like we talked about in last episode, this is the 90s, right? And yep. um, hip-hop was, first of all, like in New York City, like had been a cultural force and like in the mid-90s be beginning to... Uh, be a cultural force beyond like the New York City context or beyond like a more underground movement, even nationally, right? Um, so they're seeing that happen, they're you know growing up with merengue, and this is what comes out of that, right? And it's like There's elements of rap, there's elements of merengue, there's elements of house music also, mm -hmm. which house comes out of Chicago and like, which, you know, like emerged from like underground black clubs that were like speeding up disco in a particular way. And so like, it's just like this very interesting confluence of of sounds and and this is like i don't know to me meeting house is not just like super fun and super dope but like it's also just such a like a sonic expression like this is the sound of this thing happening of all of these things that were happening all these cultural forces all these socio-political forces that were happening and like this is the culture that emerges because like of course it does like how could it not yeah Yeah. And so would you place Meadon House also in the Bronx? I would say like Uptown and Bronx. Uptown, yeah. yeah. Like Uptown. This is like, you know, like when we're talking about Latino music in New York, like Uptown and the Bronx really take the cake. It's like where like there's large, large, large concentrations of Latinx people. Right. Like there's also obviously like Latinx people on Staten Island. There's Latinx Brooklyn, people Queens. Um, in Brooklyn and Queens, you know, um, I think that now Queens is very, very Latinx. I don't know if it was or, you know, as in much the 70s, in, yeah. you know, in the 70s, 80s, 90s, you know. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I mean, now it certainly very much is. So maybe like the next like iconic New York genre that comes out of Latinx communities is going to come out of Queens. I yeah. cannot wait. <laughs> yeah, I'm really like interested in this concept of like how um like these social political forces like white flight and then gentrification like how they've also shaped these things because like what i'm seeing is you know we started with genres that were mostly in spanish harlem and then we moved to the bronx um for hip-hop and now we're you know maybe still uptown for Meadow house and then we're going to talk about um two genres like you know another genre that's from the bronx like in my mind i'm like is there like a a being like because 
you know, and now we're in the nineties. Right. So we're like talking about like, you know, white folks maybe coming back to New York city after the white flight and like started the start of gentrification also like fueled by the AIDS crisis, which did promote gentrification because a lot of the gay men like died and left like these rent controlled apartments. Anyway, mm. is there like some sort of path with like, these genres coming like farther and farther north like farther into the bronx you know and like less in manhattan because manhattan was being gentrified you know like i just think it's really yeah yeah for sure more of the outer boroughs like stopping like you know like not as much uptown yeah that's super interesting yeah i think that that's absolutely true and then the other thing that's fascinating about these things is that like this is you know these are we're talking about genres that have emerge like we're really stopping here at like the early 2000s mm. so we're talking about genres that emerge like before the internet looked like what it looks like now mm. right like 20 years ago we didn't have like you know like maybe yeah like there was like the internet in some way right but like not the way that it exists today like we i think that we were some people were starting to like download music but that was very dependent on whether you could afford a home computer which was not a given 20 years ago it's not a given right, 25 years right. ago, right? Yeah. So like these all emerged in like these very, very local contexts. And right. now people have access to like anything. So yeah. I'm wondering now, like, what is the role of geography mm-hmm. and physical proximity and the creation of subcultures when like the world is at your fingertips through like this little machine that we all carry around? Yeah. I mean, um, I, I don't yeah. think it's insignificant, but right. it does change things up. Well, here's what I think. I feel like the new geographies are these like social networks, right? So like then you look at, you know, how did Bandcamp or SoundCloud or, you know, um, like what was, you know, one of the early f- social media networks, Friendster, was like really about music, right? Was it Friendster that like a lot MySpace of bands? MySpace was really MySpace about music. MySpace was really about music, yeah. So like maybe that's like that's the geolocation now is like these like networks that happen online and that they still, you know, it's not like everyone is in the same place. Like we are in these little like bubbles and like you know on tiktok and like these different platforms that have their own innovations that also shape music you know not that geography stops meaning anything but that that now they're these new places i mean that's kind of the idea like you know this idea of like the metaverse right it's like that that's the place that we're all going to be living which is a little bit like dystopian but um because it's owned by you know mark zuckerberg but but yeah, that there are these little communities that like find each other and then, you know, yeah, people collaborating during the pandemic on music who never see each other, you know, like that. Right. It's possible with with all these digital means. And so it is really interesting to think about that. And you're right. Yeah, we are kind of stopping, you know, by the time we get to reggaeton, like we're stopping with, you know, the beginning of the Internet, essentially. Um, yeah. So yeah. it's really fascinating. That's, that's what I love about and music. It's just like there's so many different it just like re- it represents so many different things like you wouldn't think there was a connection between white flight and music but there is you know it's like i just think yeah, it's fascinating course. you know it's an expression of culture of everything right. that we're doing right yeah it's very political yeah you know that's you all know that about us yeah. we're always making these connections yeah and i just i think it's really cool and like i just i love interacting with music in that way you know why don't you take us Back to the Bronx <laughs> with our next genre that we're yes. going to explore. Yes. Um, I was excited about this one for obvious reasons. Let's just start with the song that really made this moment, kind of shifted the moment and made us a whole new type of music, I think, possible on a big scale. And that song is Obsession by Aventura and Judy Santos. Let's take a listen. Something flavor. 
song came out i yeah. was living in italy i did like a semester abroad oh. and it was like non-stop playing 2002 italy wow yeah i sadly was not listening to this in 2002 because i was graduating from high school and listening to really crappy music but that's amazing <laughs> i love that you remember that i love that you remember that yeah i mean this song is so iconic so iconic just the big i mean i love a song we've talked i've talked about this before i love a song that starts with like the sound of phone dialing it also feels like so <laughs> old school now you know like nobody yeah, you know like yeah. the buttons pushing um but yeah i love that um but yeah this is from 2002 this is aventura and they really you know brought really like ushered in a wave of and like a space for a whole new type of bachata and like i don't really know what to call it we're talking we said we said pop bachata people have called it modern bachata some people call it urban bachata like but really it is also this same microcosm of new york that you had these dominicans who you know were raised in the bronx and influenced by american culture and influenced by hip-hop and influenced by the music around them um who brought that all back into bachata and like kind of broke a lot of the rules of bachata to usher in this new era and like i feel very grateful for this particular <laughs> like movement because it's really what brought me into bachata it was like my entry point to bachata was like prince royce who's like part of this um wave and like came after and um and then i got to go back to the classics and sort of experience that as well so um but yeah it's the same story we've been telling about these young immigrant kids or children of immigrants in the bronx like trying something different like using sort of like the legacy of the music from their homeland but then um taking it to a different level or to a, a new trying to think new things you know um yeah there were so and many i think for most people who are not dominican aventura was like our entry point into bachata yeah. like i don't know what bachata yeah. was before that like it was like a fucking mm -hmm. like campo genre mm -hmm. you know like mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah i didn't know yeah. that shit like we i had no access to it really i mean right. there's juan luis guerra yeah right yeah exactly so he's but you know, that's like a right. different sort of vibe right yeah yeah and i don't i don't know I, I have such a resistance to like giving him credit for bachata for so many reasons i think because he's right. like a white dominican guy and also because 
the butt shot that he put out like wasn't very good you know like it's and it's kind of like <laughs> it's not very it's like like Bachata Rosa, that album that was like kind of the big album that brought Bachata out mm-hmm, of sort of the campo mm-hmm. and in DR is like Bachata Light. It's like more merengue than Bachata, you know, like it's not what I associate with Bachata. But like you have to talk about him when you talk about Bachata because he did have a role in kind of like bringing the attention of the mainstream to Bachata. But yeah, Aventura then really like innovated, I think. And it was interesting yeah, to, to, to right. research like all the different things like this Wikipedia article about Aventura, like lists all the rules that Aventura broke, like all the bachata rules. So like they were the first bachata group to sing a whole song in English, a whole bachata song in English, which is really just like such an example of that, like Dominican American sort of crossover. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Romeo also, you know, his his, um, given name is Anthony. He, you know, brought lyrics that, that weren't about heartbreak. So, you know, bachata was like mostly, you know, it was called Amarga before it was called bachata. Like it was all about mm-hmm. heartbreak, mm-hmm. bitterness. And he took it to another level. He made it more romantic. He brought other themes into it. You know, it wasn't just about heartbreak, which I think made it more accessible and more appealing to people. Um, Lenny, one of the members of Aventura, started using electric guitars instead of just, you know, the classic guitars, um, bringing guitar effects into it, you know, harmonizers, distortions, like these sort of like, mm-hmm. o- you know, electronic pieces of it. Um, and it goes on and on. So there's just like so many different ways in which these guys really innovated bachata and brought um, a whole new um kind of entry point for people into bachata and we're really fucking successful you know they were the first latino act ever to um sell out madison square garden and wow i didn't think i knew that about that yeah in 2007 they sold out um, wow that's late in the game wow yeah yeah i mean the fact that it took that long right for a latino group to do that yeah it's really wild like the way that Aventura changed the bachata landscape mm-hmm. by innovating on it from a perspective of like, yeah, New York immigrants, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like this is like my life in the Bronx and now I'm a Dominican kid who listens to bachata and I also listen to all this other shit and mm-hmm. I'm going to make it all sound like something that sounds familiar to me and cool yeah. to me, you know? Yeah. And I wonder about like that, like we talked about in part one, like when Boogaloo, which was made by teenagers in Spanish Harlem, got really popular, there was a lot of resistance from, like, the old timers. And I wonder if, you know, I feel like with bachata, there's also a little bit of that tension with, like, people feeling like this isn't bachata. You know, this is pop music. This isn't, you know, this isn't the traditional stuff. Like, they're doing, they're breaking too many roles, right? They're going in too many different directions. Like, Prince Royce isn't bachata, you know? Like, they the, the legacy of bachata is being, like, distorted or watered down or whatever. And so I wonder if that tension has played out in the industry. I mean, these guys are so popular. It's sort of, like, hard to... I mean, maybe it didn't play out in the same way because, like, in some ways, like, the, the bachata legacy folks don't have a lot of, like, money and influence. Like, that they're, you know, Aventura ended up being more popular and, like, more of a commercial success. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's more, like, whereas with the Bugalo thing, they were sort of, like, people within New York City fighting. And so there was like, maybe more equity and resources, whereas, like, people on yeah. the island didn't, you know, but. A little um, bit more power. Yeah. yeah. But bachata, yeah, I think people would like to, to denigrate this type of bachata. And I think that's. Yeah. I mean, if you're Dominican, like, you get to believe whatever you want about bachata. Like, I feel like I, I defer to, like, folks that this is from their, this is their, like, home music. But I, I feel like it's a, I don't know. It's it's a missed opportunity to really appreciate, like, innovation and change and evolution, you know? Yeah. And I mean, one thing that I really do also really appreciate about um, Romeo Santos is, um, you know, what really sort of, like, brought 
my respect for him mm-hmm. to a new level was yeah. when Utopia. he came out with mm-hmm. Utopia in 2019 and like yeah. collaborated with all the OGs, right? Yeah. Like he brought Raulín Rodríguez, he brought yeah. Teodoro Reyes, he brought Zacarias Ferreira, he brought Monchi right. Alexandra. Right. Oh right. my no, God. He brought them back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, brokered right. a piece between them. So you're like, right. I think that like I, um, he, you know, like he and Aventura in general, like innovated and did something new and also like, I think eventually have shown respect for their roots. So I think that that's yeah. super fucking cool. But I wonder if like any of those folks were like talking shit about Aventura in the early 2000s. You know? <laughs> like, I, I wonder, wonder. I wonder. You know? it's like, I don't know. I yeah. hope not. It's like what an opportunity, like a missed opportunity, opportunity to feel like super proud of like this music that you uh, innovated being I like know. reaching this level. Right. But, but yeah. I, I feel like off, oftentimes there's like a, this isn't the tradition, you know? So I don't, yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know at all. Um, but, but I'm really grateful because I think it's, it's given Bachata like another, a new life in some ways, you know, and continued. And that, and the folks are still making sort of like the legacy Bachata. Like that's not over necessarily. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, and you know, but. these things are complicated, right? When like, there's like these like more pop or, other sort of genres, um, other like versions of genres, like um, there's sometimes like social and class and race like elements mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. of things that are showing up and like that, you know, like, okay, like society accepts this because they accept, you know, a racist mm-hmm. and like classist, you know, view of things. But yeah. um that's those are dynamics that are that are always present yeah you know it's not uncomplicated no no definitely not so you've got our last genre in this new york city exploration bringing us to the early 2000s yeah so the other genre that i think new york city has been really integral in shaping but we don't talk about it that much that way, is reggaeton. Mm. So I am bringing Guasa Guasa by El Abayar de Teo Calde. <laughs> Let's take a listen. about this argument because I also don't think about it 
as a New York yeah. City influence well, genre? So I knew that like reggae español from Panama sort of like begat reggaeton, but what I didn't know before I listened to the Loud podcast, which you know is an amazing, amazing podcast on the history of reggaeton that I really hope all of you have listened to by now. But if you haven't, I am just simply so excited for you because you're <laughs> in for a treat. It's so good. But, we'll put a link in the show notes. Yes, absolutely. But what I, what I learned from Loud is the role of New York City in that exchange. See, because I knew that reggae en español influenced reggaeton because I grew up on El General. I grew up listening to El Chombo. So like when reggaeton came next, I was like, okay, yeah, like this sound is a successor to that sound. Like I knew it like on instinct. I knew it because I lived it because I saw one happen first and the other one happened next. And I could hear the evolution of that sound and put two and two together, right? Like... It's not like I'm a weird, crazy genius for this. I think that like for most people who are like alive and listening to this music, like this felt fairly obvious or at least it did to me. Mm -hmm. But like what I didn't know is how that Panamanian sound reached Puerto Rico, right? I mean, I guess I figured it was the radio or like bootleg CDs or like however it reached Venezuela, you know, which is how it reached me. Um, which I think it might have been a little bit of that too, but um, on what I learned from Loud was the really heavy role of like the intermingling of Panamanian immigrants in central Brooklyn mm. with um, Afro-Caribbean immigrants here. Um, so Panamanian immigrants and like Trinidadian and Jamaican immigrants and um, and folks from from the Caribbean islands um, really congregated in central Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And um, and also because of Puerto Rico and the social po- sociopolitical context of Puerto Rico, you know, because they live colonized by the United States, they don't need a visa to get in. So a lot of times folks are going back and forth, mm. right? And... Um, so while in the 80s, there was a huge migration from Panama uh, to New York City, to central Brooklyn, um, you had folks like El General and like La Trevida integrating themselves into this um, central Brooklyn dance hall scene mm. and reggae scene. And they were just also doing it in Spanish, right? And like so like there was this whole scene here in Brooklyn and because Puerto Ricans were like in and out of New York all the time, like one of the things that, you know, like you do when you're an immigrant kid who like goes to spend the summer in Brooklyn and you're from Puerto Rico, or if you're from Puerto Rico and you go, or if you're from Brooklyn and you go spend the summer in Puerto Rico, you like, you're like, this is what I've been listening to back home, or this is what I found when I was over right. there. You know what right. I mean? And I remember doing that as a kid too, being like coming back from my trips um, you know, like to Venezuela after I came back, after I moved here, like with all this music of like, okay, this is what we've been listening to and like sharing all this music. Right. And, um, because lots of Puerto Ricos did and do go back and forth from La Isla to mm-hmm. Nueva York, um, they were bringing back not only like all of this reggae español that was happening in New York City, but also all of like the hip hop that was like mm. starting to emerge also at that time. So like it was part of that like sort of like migration and exchange that right. really, you know, it wasn't just the radio, you know, it was like right. a movement of people and like people like really like being enmeshed in the cultural and physical space of reggae en español, of hip hop, of 
in New York City, in the Bronx, in central Brooklyn, right? And then bringing mm -hmm. that back to La Isla and like that mixing up over there and creating a whole new thing yeah. over in Puerto Rico, yeah. right? So it's like all just like mediated through New York in this amazing way that like I just like had no idea about and yeah. really shout out like that like super blew my mind mm -hmm. I'm not going to give you a full history of that here because you should absolutely go listen to loud yeah um, particularly there is an episode on like the Nueva York connection if mm -hmm. you're interested in this mm -hmm. but listen to listen to all of it <laughs> yeah yeah and so now we're talking about like Crown Heights and Bed-Stuy and like those parts of central Brooklyn Yeah, yeah, like where I live. Yeah, yeah, it's really that interesting. That is still, to this day, even though it's being very gentrified, remain yeah. extremely Caribbean, right? Yeah, it's Trinidadian. Extremely Trini, yeah. mm -hmm. extremely Jamaican, mm -hmm. you know, like the West Indian Day Parade, mm -hmm. when it's not a global pandemic, happens here every, yeah. every Labor Day, you know, and it's yeah. like... Um, Panamanians have always been a huge part of that, right? Like at the West Indian Day Parade, there's always like a stand with Panamanian food. There's always folks with like a Panamanian flag, right? right. Like it's their part of like the local, um, you know, Caribbean scene. Yeah. God, it's so interesting to think about like also like the logic behind these flows of people, right? Because a lot of them are in the United States because of like U.S. political intervention in right. the Caribbean and in Latin America too. So it's like, I don't know. I'm just like, feel like my mind is like playing an interactive map of like the flows of people. Right. And like, yeah, even the people, you know, these folks, their people came to the Caribbean because of like, you know, people being stolen as slaves from Africa. You know, it's like all these different yes. flows of people and like the social political things that, and then they come to the U S because they're fleeing like the political repression happening in their country. That's fueled by the United States. And like, and then they come together with people, other people who come from a different context, but also have a similar story. And it's just like, maybe speak a different language, but like there's so much shared um, legacy there. It's just really fascinating. Yeah. It's really a story about like the political and social migrations of people and how mm -hmm. that shapes culture and sound, mm -hmm. right? Like even with like Reagan Espanol, right? Like mm -hmm. why was Reagan Espanol so big? It's because of the Panama Canal. There were a lot yeah. of laborers yep, yep, that yep. came from the West Indies right. to Panama. Yep. And and like and that music established itself there, you know? And that's why there's a huge cultural connection between Panama and the rest of the um Uh, the West Indies, right? So it's, yeah, like you said, like from like the forced migration of slavery that brought like the drum and the bass lines mm -hmm. to, um, to the way that we experience music now to the continuing and ongoing displacements of people caused by like sociopolitical turmoil <laughs> and empire, you know? Yeah. Um, there's... It's a lot of really hard and heavy shit, but like it's also a reminder that in struggle there's a lot of beauty right. and a lot yeah. of like a lot of um, resistance, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is this is what this is. It's like yeah, you can fuck with us, like you can like you know burn our buildings down, mm -hmm. like in the Bronx. You can right. um, make this a really difficult place to live, but there's still celebration. There's still music. There's still um, ways to exchange, and it's. Yeah, it's dope. Yeah, it's really fascinating. And like, yeah, I, I think it's really beautiful to think about the the beauty that comes out of it. And it's also like, there's another side of like, then it's an industry and who's at the top of the industry and who, mm -hmm. you know, the people who own the record labels are like, you know, rich white dudes, you know, so it's like, there's all these layers, right? Um, 
to how it how it progresses but i think it's really interesting to, to look at to see how much music is evidence of all of these different things that are happening it's like you know if the only legacy we leave you know once this like what <laughs> whatever like when the aliens come or like when people are looking back 100 years from now like if they could learn a lot about what happened with our like socio-political environment, our culture, our people, the movement of people just by looking at the music, you know, like there's just so much that is like made visible in just that piece of it alone. And I think that's really what makes me so excited. I like so interested in it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know what this doing this, this little deep dive into New York has given me a new appreciation for the city. It's like, it's, it's not my home. I've tried to live there a couple of times. It's just not for me, but like I can really value like what New York has offered, you know, I think the world in many ways and like what has been made possible by that particular like intense place, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, to me, I've, I feel like, this this is part of the legacy of why I love this place, right? And I think that like this energy, even though like it's changed so much and it's consistently changing and it's always been changing, right? Um, part of like this creative energy that runs through this city is part of what makes me love it so much, and and knowing that like all of this culture like has emerged from here, right? And I don't think that. You know, New York is a dope place and it's like not it's very special and it's also like not as special as other people, <laughs> you know, as like some people think it is. Right. Like mm. it's like in some sense, it's extremely special and other senses like this happens in cities all over the world and right. not other and other cities don't have like the. Um, don't have like the world's like global financial center, like two footsteps away that mm -hmm. can like in some way connect them to the resources to make some of this right. shit go global. Right. Like subcultures and like really extremely complex, like musical tradition traditions, like live and die, emerge and, and like disappear without ever having making like a, this kind of like a global, um, impact because of like you know i think that like part of what there isn't the proximity to empire and money and and industrialization and capital right which like you said is super complicated right like based on who owns things and who makes the money and etc right but like in some ways this makes me really appreciate new york and then also like part of me like you know like i've I'm a lifelong New Yorker, right? Like I've been here for 15 years. I'm not going anywhere. I do not plan on ever not living here. But um, so I clearly think this place is really special and is my home. And also I think it's like important to contextualize that like the world is full of this kind of stuff. Right. Like all sorts of cities are full of this kind of like cultural creativity and production and right. um sometimes we don't get to experience it because it doesn't like get to be in touch with the level of capital mm -hmm. that is available in this city and there's yeah. a lot of money in this city that's interesting to think about yeah i mean i'm sure we could do you know 
with a different lens of music like what is what's the story of like Paris and like music and immigrants and you know like it's not necessarily New York that's the only place that brings people together that then have these like cross-cultural collaborations but um but yeah that there I mean there's a there is this U.S. hegemony when it comes to the music industry yeah in the last you know whatever 200 years or 100 maybe 100 years um that hasn't you know there's a legacy that goes way 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 farther back in other kind of um colonial nations right but um, yeah i'm thinking about it a lot lately because of a piece about like a subculture that Mm -hmm. came out of like the hood in caracas Mm -hmm. that i've been working on and you'll you'll hear a little bit more about that later yeah yeah um you know it's like these things it's just like it's really brings it into light that like these things happen everywhere and like Mm -hmm. how many like hip-hops have emerged in other cities that like you know no one capitalized off of to make it bigger yeah 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 and like created an impact in like the time that they were alive you know Mm -hmm. um so that's a little bit sad and also a little bit beautiful right that there's like all these things happening and the world is like a wide and giant and unknowable place (laughs) all right y'all thank you so much for listening to this part two i hope you liked it um and as always, all the information about the songs we brought are in our show notes at RadioMenea.com. Follow us on Instagram, on Twitter, and our newsletter is also a cute option if you want to know what we're reading and what we're up to. And thank you so much. I hope you liked this little exploration of Nueva York. And um, just a reminder, we have a membership program, and if you were a member... Um, today's show you would have gotten an extra segment where Veto and I talk a little bit more about our personal relationship with the New York and particularly Veto's long-term relationship with the city. <laughs> um, so That's my man, I'm gonna stick beside him. Exactly. So uh, take <laughs> a, you can find a link to our membership program in our uh, show notes as well. And thanks so much to the folks who already support us as members. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And shout out to Maite. Thank you for editing help. We love you. All right. Hasta la próxima. Bye.